guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my good friend, dear old Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah? How are you? I am doing real well. We've real had, shocked. <laughs> we've had an interesting day today. Yeah. Um, this is, what day is this? It's Friday. It's Friday. So this is a few days before this episode is coming out, but uh, we've had a really interesting day. We were featured in a well we weren't featured featured. we We were mentioned we were mentioned in a new york times article um some of you if you follow us on social media you've probably already heard about this because we can't shut up exactly (laughs) um but it was a big deal to us and so um if you haven't checked that out then check us out on social media and uh, you'll see that there we were mentioned among some other really awesome podcasts in our genre such as my favorite murder all Kill and No Filla, Wine and Crime, and That's Why We Drink, White Wine, True Crime, and True Crime Obsessed. So if you guys haven't checked out those podcasts, please go do that. They all work really hard and they deserve the recognition. And we were just so uh, flattered to be among them in a New York Times article. Yeah, we literally stumbled across our names in the article and we were so excited for our friends and saw our name and then it was just full-on panic after that. Yes. Just just panic. (laughs) So the article's called The Transgressive Appeal of the Comedy Murder Podcast. And Mandy, what did they say about us? Um, They said that we favor a softer, gentler laugh. So that's what we seek to do. And I guess that's what we do. That's what they said about us. So that must be true. It was on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag giggles. So we are going to jump right into this week's episode. Yes. We have probably a little bit of a longer episode. This is a really... Crazy, crazy case, so we don't want to waste We've any time. never used that word to describe a case. Ever. Ever. Never. Never say crazy. Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So today's episode is about the strange disappearance of Johnny Altinger from Edmonton, Canada. Johnny was a social man with many friends, but he had also been looking for love on the popular dating website slash app called Plenty of Fish. I guess it's a website and an app. Sure. I'm sure it is now. Yeah. Uh, It was through that service that he met a woman named Jen. After exchanging a few online messages, Johnny and Jen arranged to meet for a date. He was excited but cautious about meeting a stranger for the first time, as one should be. Sure. (laughs) And so he forwarded some of their email exchanges to one of, a few of his friends actually, to let them know where he would be and who he would be with. And he set out on his journey to pick up Jen for their first date. So I'm going to, we're going to do a little bit different this week and we're actually going to read some of the actual emails that were sent from Johnny to the friend that he was letting them know what was going on. So he had actually sent like a forwarded copy of this message to this, from this woman that he was supposedly going to meet for a date. So I'm going to read a couple of those just so you guys can get a little context here. Uh, So these were sent on October 10th, 2008. The first one reads... Although this sounds exciting, I have to make sure you're not some kind of weirdo, and so far you seem fairly well put together, but anyone can lie online, right? So I have an idea for how both of us can be made comfortable with the situation, and by both of us, I of course mean me. LOL. Dear Lord. <laughs> I hate reading the word LOL. It, it's, it's painful for It me. really is. So it goes on. I bought this, well, let's call it a handyman special. I'm all about resale, and the back gate is a little screwed up, so I locked it off, and everyone's just been entering through the garage, so it works out okay. When you see it, you'll know what I mean. If you do this, I can direct you to the house from the alley without giving the street address and see you before I let you in. 
Maybe this is paranoid on my part, but I have to look after myself. My first instincts about people are never wrong, and I know to trust them. I want to play very much, but I have to be cautious, as I'm sure you can understand. If you're okay with this, let me know. If not, we will have to miss each other. On a lighter note, though, if we really gel, you said you had four days off. How long can I keep you for if I choose? Maybe you should pack for a few days. LOL. Signed, Jen. So real quick, we could save this back alley meeting if we went to McDonald's, if we went to Chili's. Right. Just meet in a public place. What's wrong with Chili's? <laughs> That's like the date location. But this whole first email exchange is really odd to me for a sure. first email. Like, this is just a really long-winded way of saying I don't trust you. I'm already <laughs> so exhausted like, by this person. Right. Next. Thank you. Swipe left or right. Let's I don't know which on. one. Yeah. So the second message that um, Jen sent to Johnny Altinger was a detailed kind of message about how he could get to her place. So a normal person would just say, this is my address. Right. Google it and pick me up here. No, a normal person would go to Chili's. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But they didn't do that. So instead, this is the message that she sent. It says, Okay, if you're coming from the south, best thing to do is use the white mud to get to 50th Street and go south. Then you go right on 40th Avenue, and after a couple blocks, turn right again at a yellow crosswalk sign into the alley. Some guy parks his RV there, so pay attention. LOL. This person laughs a lot. (laughs) They love their own jokes. Much like us. Yes. Once you do that, just go left and park in the only driveway on your left that looks like a forest. LOL. (laughs) what did I say fixer upper yeah it's not paved there's a couch and some other garbage I haven't had time to call the city about yet SOS SOS just abort mission (laughs) this is a terrible idea stay with us guys there's a point to reading all of these (laughs) I'll just leave the garage door partly open for you to sneak in through just make sure you push the button at the regular door to close the big door I have a friend coming over to use part of it as a workshop this weekend so he blanketed off where my car usually goes lol lol like I need red spray paint on my car, right? Don't ask. <laughs> Nobody would. Nobody has any idea what's happening. This is all too much information. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes on to say, I'm going to be out and about today because my girlfriend just called me and got me into hanging out with her. But you and I can get together at 7. I'll be back by then. Sound good? So these were the two first email uh, exchanges between our subject of our podcast today, Johnny Altinger, and this woman, Jen, that he was going to meet. Johnny would not be seen again by friends or family, but a series of strange emails would be sent from his email address, leaving those close to him puzzled and concerned for his safety. On October 13th, three days after his scheduled date with Jen, Johnny's friends Dale and Deborah would receive the following email. Hey there, I've met an extraordinary woman named Jen who has offered to take me on a nice long tropical vacation. We'll be staying in her winter home in Costa Rica. Phone number to follow soon. I won't be back in town until December 10th, but I'll be checking my email periodically. See you around the holidays. Johnny. The same message was sent to Deborah multiple times with different subject lines, which she found odd. On the same day, another friend received the following email from Johnny's email address. Hey man, no worries on my end. I'm good. Better than good, as a matter of fact. The girl and I hit it off big time. I know it's only been a few days, but I think I'm falling hard, and she feels the same way. Totally unexpected. She's also really wealthy and offering to take me on a tropical vacation for three months. I'm thinking I'll do it. Never done anything so spontaneous, and it would be a great experience to get in before I die. I'll be in touch. John. What? <laughs> like, oh, man. 
<laughs> I have so many questions about all of this. Like, so the idea being, right, that his friends, he was kind of saying, I'm meeting this girl, no big deal. I'm going to stay with her for, it could be for a while. Which is, okay, you just met this person online, but sure, let's go away you know, on a tropical it, it Costa Rican people, vacation. Okay, that's... Oh, it happens? That's where, it? No, no, no. People <laughs> meet each other and then they stay with each other or whatever. It happens. My hold up is who meets you and is like, got your passport? I have a home in Costa Rica. Right. <laughs> You're not a rapper. Yeah, this is the even odds happen. of that are slim. Mandy, I think they're zero. <laughs> I feel like I could go on the record and they would be zero. Nobody's bringing you to Costa Rica after you drove through an alley past a dumpster and a couch and then bringing you on a tropical vacation. You're not no, cheesy. No, it's not happening. Back to the story. <laughs> A couple of days later, on October 15th, Johnny's boss would receive an emailed resignation letter in which Johnny stated that he had a life-altering opportunity that he could not pass up and he would not be returning to work. Attempts were made by other friends to get in contact with Johnny, and those messages were responded to with the same claims that Johnny was doing just fine in Costa Rica with his new girlfriend, Jen. Johnny's friends were baffled and said that aside from the bizarre emails, he had seemingly dropped off the face of the earth. One day, his friend Deborah was online, and she noticed that Johnny was also online. But what was really strange to her was that, I guess this was some kind of a messenger where, you remember back when we used like AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, yeah. and instead of like a status update, you would put, it would go right next to your username, so yeah. it would say like, oh, Mandy is online, and then I could choose to change my yeah. little memo or my message I wanted to use for the day. Um, so next to his name... It read, I've got a one-way ticket to heaven, and I'm never coming back. So that's kind of a strange thing to read on your friends. I you haven't know. seen you on earth, and now you're talking about right. heaven? Exactly. So later that day, she received a phone call from another friend who said that Johnny appeared to be missing. So with the suspicion growing, a few friends decided to drive over to Johnny's condo just to take a look around. The friends actually had to break into his place, of course, because he wasn't there. Uh, but everything inside appeared to be completely normal, and there was absolutely no sign of struggle or no sign of robbery or, you know, breaking and entering or anything like that. The only things missing were his wallet, his keys, and his car. So it seemed as if Johnny had just gone somewhere and would be back soon. Johnny's friends were still not satisfied that he was safe, and they enlisted the help of the Edmonton Police Department. Detective Bill Clark was on the job, and to him, it seemed like Johnny's friends were making much ado about nothing. They felt that it was entirely reasonable that an adult man might decide to take off to Costa Rica with a woman, and he really did not take the case seriously as a missing persons case. The police station was very busy, and Detective Clark said that unless someone was dead and it was a murder, they didn't really want to be bothered with it, and that they really had plenty to do without investigating what appeared to be a non-crime. So Detective Clark, who had... Over 30 years of police work under his belt, never suspected foul play at this point in the case. They simply thought that he met a woman online and took off to Costa Rica. And it happens. I right. mean, running off to Costa Rica, I feel like that one is still pushing it. You would sell your home. You would, you know, you would tie up loose ends before you just took off forever. Well, it's not like he was leaving forever, but it still is weird that you would just say, yeah, I'm going away for this three-month vacation yeah. with this person I just met. So, yeah, that is definitely a red flag, I would say. If you told me you were going on a vacation for three months with someone you didn't even know, I would be a little concerned. Well, let my husband know because <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be real mad. <laughs> Finally, after seven days had passed since anyone had actually seen Johnny, the police agreed to open an investigation. 
They started by trying to find Johnny's car, which was a red Mazda. The first place they decided to look was at the airport, since Johnny said that he was taking off for Costa Rica. Officers drove up and down every parking lot looking for the vehicle, but they didn't find it. Their next move was to obtain airline passenger lists and to comb through them, looking for any evidence that Johnny had gotten onto a plane. But they weren't able to find his name on any of them. And that's important because after September 11th, you remember, they got really strict. Like, you have to sit in certain seats. Like, they had... Prior to that, it was kind of like a free-for-all right. on airplanes. And now it's like you have those lists. They double-check them. It's a really big deal. Johnny's friends returned to his condo and began looking through his personal things. They found his passport among his other important files and immediately knew that something was wrong. Detective Clark agreed that the passport was an important piece of evidence because it indicated that Johnny could not have left the country and therefore was not likely to be in Costa Rica as the emails had stated that he was. Detectives went back to square one where it all began. The emails from Jen outlining how to get to her home. There was no physical address given, but there were specific instructions on how to get there, which was the email that we read at the beginning of this episode. Detectives followed those directions, which led them to a garage that they determined was being rented by a man named Mark Twitchell. He was a successful indie filmmaker on his way up in the industry and slowly gaining somewhat of a celebrity status in his local community. He had recently made a low-budget sci-fi film, and when police contacted him to ask him to come down to open up his garage, he happily obliged their request. But when he got there, he made somewhat of a shocking discovery to him, which was that the padlock on the garage was different from the one that he thought that it was. And he told the officers that he thought someone had either tampered with the lock or changed the lock uh, and that he could not get in because it wasn't his lock. Right. So that's kind of an interesting coincidence, I yeah. would say. So the police asked if they would be granted permission from him to break the lock and go into the garage and look around. And he agreed that that was fine. And that's what the police did. Um, they took a look around, but their initial search really didn't turn up anything. The garage was all but empty and seemed like there was really nothing suspicious or out of place about it. Police were interested in hearing more about what Mark had used the garage for, and they asked him to come into the police station just to answer a few questions. Again, Mark happily agreed, and with a relaxed demeanor, he told police all about his work as a filmmaker. All about it. All about it. Uh, and how he had been using the garage as somewhat of a soundstage and a place to shoot his short teasers uh, for these films that he was working on. At the time, he was working on a suspense thriller short film, and he told them that he had a crew in and out of the garage, but if anyone really needed to borrow the place, they would have to ask him first, or they would at least let him know that they were going to be there. So he went on to say that he had moved on from the thriller and was now making a full feature comedy film with a three and a half million dollar budget, and in the meantime, the garage had been sitting vacant. Investigators were suspicious. Um, it was, it's just that random coincidences are not really usually random. And they were doubtful that Johnny would be given specific directions to Mark's vacant garage if it wasn't intentional. They wondered who this woman Jen was, and they asked Mark if he knew her, but he said that the name didn't ring a bell. When Detective Clark reviewed the tapes from Mark's interview, he felt that there were no signs of deception and that Mark's demeanor was very relaxed and his responses were reasonable. They looked into Mark's production company and found that it was legitimate and it was a successful business. They determined that his story checked out and he appeared to just be a hardworking husband and father. The members of Mark's crew were also vetted and cleared of any suspicion in the case. Detectives were stumped and did the only thing they knew to do, which was retrace their steps and to return to the garage with a search warrant. 
but the request to obtain a warrant was rejected by the judge, who said that police had failed to prove that there was any crime committed. Detective Clark decided to go straight to the source again and contacted Mark for permission to thoroughly search the garage. Mark was once again very cooperative and had no problem signing the paperwork that would allow the police legal access to his garage. In the meantime, another detective working the case called Detective Clark with some interesting information. He stated that Mark had just told him that he had bought a red Mazda off of someone. Detective Clark was very intrigued by this because this was the same color and make of the vehicle that Johnny owned and that they had been searching the city for. Mark was brought in for further questioning and again, he did not appear nervous or on edge at all. He calmly explained to the detective that a man had approached him a few blocks away from his garage and was looking to sell his car. He stated that the man told him he had a new, quote, sugar mama, and she was going to buy him a new car when they returned from a vacation that they were going to take. There was supposedly nothing wrong with the car other than it had a standard transmission, which Mark did not know how to drive, but he decided to buy the car anyway and parked it in a friend's driveway. Likely story. <laughs> you don't seem to be buying that, Mandy. Well, who buys a car that they can't even drive? Okay. Well, I, I mean, actually, I did. I did well, that. I, well, my <laughs> my dad forced me to get a standard yeah. for my first vehicle, but he bought it and then just said, you're going to learn how to drive this. That's what happened to so, me. But I but wouldn't I choose to buy a car that I couldn't drive. And especially not if some stranger approached me on the sidewalk and said, I just need to sell my car, man. Like, can you yeah, just yeah. buy it? And like, especially if you're not in the market for a car and yeah. then you find out you can't even drive it. Yeah. Why would you buy it? I know. <laughs> like, it just and makes it's very no convenient with this sugar mama very idea. Very convenient. It would be different yes. if he said, I was looking for it and a friend of a friend told me about this great deal and this guy, then you could buy it. But it's very convenient to now have a sugar mama angle to this story. Right. <laughs> Dear Lord, people. Canadians, right. get it's it a little, together. It's just a little too convenient yeah. for the circumstances of the case. Right, right. That, that would be his it's perfect. story. Right. It just lines up way too perfectly. Right. So patrol units immediately rushed to the address where Mark said the car he had bought was parked. And sure enough, it was Johnny's car. It was backed into the driveway and there were other vehicles parked next to and in front of it. But otherwise, everything looked completely normal. Upon hearing that the car was, in fact, Johnny's car, Detective Clark decided to leave Mark in the interview room alone for a while, just so they could observe his behaviors on camera. Right. Do people not realize they're on tape? You watch these interviews, you watch like the Jody Arias where she's like doing headstands and singing songs and right. all kinds of things. You're like, you know that you're being filmed. Yeah. Right. Like, it's very. They're watching you. You're at a police station. Listen to our show. You will learn. Right. So while Mark was alone, he placed a phone call to his wife where he could be heard saying, it turns out this car does belong to the missing guy and it's a huge deal. He then tells her that he's so tired and it's so hard for him to remember things. Detective Clark was on to Mark by this point and knew that his story was bogus, but it was still too early in the investigation to really come at him hard with interrogation. And he thought that Mark was smug and felt that he was a dumb cop that could be easily played and manipulated. When the detective re-entered the room, he began asking Mark more specific details about the day that Johnny disappeared, but surprisingly, Mark had little memory of that day, and he was unable to even tell the officer what he had eaten for lunch. I can Honestly, tell you every day. Scraps. My right, kids, scraps. I, <laughs> I can either not remember what I ate for lunch, or I can guess and probably be right, yeah. because I eat the same things all the time. Right. <laughs> So hours of questioning revealed no new information, and Detective Clark felt that it was time to switch gears and start playing the part of hard cop. 
He came out and point blank told Mark that he had no doubt that he was involved in the disappearance of Johnny. And Mark played it cool for another four hours before he finally asked if he was under arrest and or if he was free to leave. Detective Clark told him that he could go, but that the department was going to seize his car and he would not be granted further access to it. And um, an interesting note about his car, when they went to the parking lot uh, to take possession of the vehicle, the um, officer noticed that his car had one of those vanity plates and it like read Dark Jedi. That's what the back of it was. I guess he was really obsessed with Star Wars. That was like um, his movie, right? It was kind of based on it, Star right. Wars. Well, they had done, him and his crew had done like a fan fiction right. kind of like reenactment of like a Star Wars thing. Um but you're really into it if you get a vanity plate that says Dark Jedi. Like I needed another reason right. to not like Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry, Matt Norton. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, several people, including my brother-in-law. Just like Lenny Kravitz, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm stuck on the ground for now, I can settle for a new kind of journey, all with a fun mobile game. Step into the enchanting world of June Parker with June's Journey, where a spectacular adventure awaits you. And the best part? No plane tickets needed. Bid farewell to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a realm where intrigue dances with elegance, all thanks to the drama-filled escapades of our charming heroine, June Parker. Whether you crave a captivating mystery or simply wish to escape the humdrum of daily life, June's journey is your portal to excitement. Join June on her quest to uncover hidden family secrets and navigate the tangled web surrounding her sister's demise. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and dive into a world where each corner holds a new clue and every twist leaves you on the edge of your seat. But hold on to your pearls because June's Journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm knee deep in the fifth chapter and each section is really more delightful than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect oozes sophistication and refinement. So don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure unfold. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Detective Clark had a hunch that Mark may have murdered Johnny and filmed it, and he was hopeful that they would find evidence to support the theory when they searched the garage. They also searched his home and vehicle, mostly looking for homemade videotapes, but instead they discovered an affair, and when Mark's wife found out about it, she kicked him out of the house. That's like some real detective work. It turns into an episode of Cheaters. Happy yeah. <laughs> Where's Joey Greco when you need him? Mark remained calm and collected and moved back home with his parents. When Clark paid the home a visit, Mark's mother had nothing but good things to say about her son. But his father was interested in hearing what Detective Clark had to say. I wonder why. Not a good sign. No. <laughs> Mama's going to save your butt. Daddy ain't. Nope. Daddy doesn't play. <laughs> a 24-hour surveillance detail was set up on the house and on Mark, but his behavior was pretty typical. He continued to go to meetings and do his work. Police were baffled by the situation, as Mark had never been arrested, had no motive to kill, and there was really no evidence that he even knew who Johnny was at all. They began to focus on the neighborhood around where the garage was located. Police interviewed a young couple from the area who recalled a strange incident that happened one night while they were taking an evening walk. They told police how a young man had stumbled out of an alleyway and collapsed on the ground in front of them, frantically saying he was being chased by a man who was trying to rob him. A few minutes later, the couple saw a second man approaching wearing a dark hooded sweatshirt and a hockey mask. Very Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> that would not fly in the States. You'd be like, well, that's definitely a killer. <laughs> the couple was, of course, horrified and felt like they were in a scary movie despite that it was only around 7.30 in the evening. The masked man went back into the alleyway and stood next to the garage that was being rented by Mark Twitchell. The couple thought the situation was bizarre and they did report it to the police, but after that, they put it out of their minds and nothing seemed out of place. 
Police who followed up on the call found no evidence of any crime, and nobody came forward to report an attempted robbery in that area. They cross-referenced the dates that couple had given them for what, when this had actually happened, and the date of Johnny's disappearance, and it was unfortunately not related, as this incident had happened a week prior to Johnny going missing. But how terrifying! And I saw something where the couple were talking, and like, she wanted to not be involved, and he wanted to... Well, because at some point, they thought that... um it could have been like a ploy to actually rob them. That would be and smart people. I've definitely heard of that happening yeah. where they create like a distraction. And mm-hmm. so they will have, you know, a person on the ground saying that they need help or being robbed. And then next thing you know, the, you know, their partner yeah. is actually coming up and attacking you. Yeah. So that's kind of what they thought was going on. And so she was scared. The husband wanted to kind of step in and help a little bit, but she was kind of thinking like, well, if these men overpower my husband, then what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, which oh, it is, makes total sense. Right. Like, and you hate to be like that because right. you want to be a good Samaritan and you want to help, but ultimately you do have that in your mind. Like this could turn around and not be what I think it is. Right. And you're in serious danger. But then on the flip side of that, it's like if you don't help and then something happens to this person or it ends up being like actual crime that's yeah. being committed – then you're going to feel terrible about that too. So th- this couple had very conflicting emotions yeah. about this whole entire encounter. They didn't know if they did the right thing. You know, they did report it to the police, but they weren't even really sure if it was a real scenario. Yeah, or... but at least they reported it. I mean, right. my goodness, that could have been – you've heard of people where they see somebody getting beaten to death and they're like, oh, well, right. I figured somebody else called the police. Yeah. So as part of the investigation into Mark's potential involvement, police took possession of his office computer, which they found in his home. Uh, And on the hard drive, they located a video that appeared to be some type of horror movie, and it was titled House of Cards. And Mark told them that that was the teaser for the suspense thriller that he had mentioned to Detective Clark in their first interview. The premise of this short film was that a killer poses as a woman online to entrap his victim, and when the victim arrives at the meeting place, he is met with a stun gun before being murdered and cut into pieces. The victim in the teaser was played by a Canadian comedian named Chris Hayward, and the killer was played by Robert Barnsley. When police tracked these men down to question them, they were told that Mark was a normal, pleasant guy just trying to make a film, and Robert stated that he had a great time playing a serial killer in the short film. As detectives continued their thorough search of Mark's computer hard drive, they discovered that he also had a fake Facebook account under the name Dexter Morgan. Does that sound familiar to anyone? It should. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so this Dexter Morgan account that he had had befriended a woman from Ohio named Renee. She was an animal trainer and an aspiring filmmaker who, by her own admission, sometimes had dark thoughts and was evidently fascinated by the TV show Dexter. She told detectives that she initially thought she could actually be friending Michael C. Hall, the actor who played Dexter. Okay, does anyone not know how social media works? (laughs) You don't just go on Facebook, find a profile that says Dexter Morgan, and think you're friending an actor. Look for the blue check mark. Right. The blue check mark. If they're is, not verified, <laughs> is there to protect you yes. and them. Well, um, Chris Pratt just came out recently, and I guess there was some fake account going around that was like trying to get women to send him inappropriate pictures of himself, oh and he gosh. had to go right. out and like say, "Like Chris Pratt's going to be prowling the internet for women to send him pictures." I know. <laughs> I love Chris Pratt. 
Pratt, and I'm so sad that he and Anna Ferris broke up. It's a whole <laughs> problem for me. But he had to actually make a big statement, come out and say, hey, if you don't see a blue check mark by my name, it's not me. So Also, I'm not going to contact you and ask you for photos. <laughs> also, I don't need this in my life. Thank you. <laughs> So Renee said that she had flirted back and forth with the person behind this Facebook account and eventually asked him to reveal who he really was, at which time she was told that his name was Mark Twitchell and that he was a filmmaker and wanted to possibly work with Renee professionally. Mark and Renee would have hypothetical conversations about how to be a good serial killer and she alleges that Mark told her that you just do it like Dexter. Oh yeah, super easy. Just do it like Dexter. Basically the Nike check mark, but with Dexter then. <laughs> just do it. Like Dexter. <laughs> they became close friends, speaking every day online, until one weekend when she didn't hear from him at all until that following Monday. When he finally wrote to her, he said that he had something else keeping him busy and that he was afraid to tell her about it. But he said, suffice to say, I crossed the line on Friday and I liked it. For somebody going through all this trouble of doing all these, like, creating all these scenarios, you sure are just going to blabber all over the internet about it. Yeah, I have so many thoughts, but I really want to get that. I want to get the rest of some more of the story yeah. in before I say them because I don't want to give too much away. But um, oh, I clearly don't. Yeah, care. this guy thought he was real smart, and he wasn't. By this time, it was Halloween, and Mark was busy creating his own custom Iron Man costume for a party. His wife had left him, and he had cops trailing him everywhere he went. Before he could go to the Halloween party, he had business to take care of, and he decided to walk to a coffee shop to meet up with some potential financial investors. On his walk, the SWAT team moved in and arrested him. He was charged with murdering Johnny, and police held a press conference stating that they had a lot of evidence to suggest that Mark idolized the character Dexter. In fact, they had even found a status update on Mark's Facebook page that said, Mark Twitchell has way too much in common with Dexter Morgan. Except the intelligence. <laughs> well, and a terrible final season. That thing was garbage. There were plenty of people that did not share the same belief that Mark had committed murder against a complete stranger. Rumors flew that Mark may be pulling some sort of a hoax or a publicity stunt, with a few people that knew him saying that he was a real prankster and he was very clever. What these people didn't know, though, was that police had found a laptop inside of Mark's car that had a deleted temporary file on the hard drive. The contents of that file were shocking and would rock the entire investigation. It was a 40-page long manuscript titled SK Confessions, which I can only assume stands for Serial Killer Confessions. Was no one going to put that together? That's not right. like really the That's greatest code. That's not a secret. Code. That's no. not a code, no. genius. No. Uh, and it was a first-person account written from the perspective of a serial killer. Or an SK. Or an SK. <laughs> It was filled with outrageous parallels to Johnny's case, and detectives knew that they were really in a unique position because they believed that they had discovered what was essentially a full, detailed, written confession, but considering that Mark was a filmmaker, they suspected that he would try to explain it away as just another movie plot that he was working on. That would be so frustrating and hard, just yeah. because it's like you are in a unique position. Like, you're in a weird, it's like, it's a you're finding this whole entire document where someone's talking about committing a murder right but you're like is it really real or is this just part how of is this not a major movie like this should be a major movie i don't want this guy to get any credit for no. anything but matt damon's not doing anything he right. can't <laughs> he can't star in this nobody tag matt damon in anything oh my please. gosh don't please <laughs> 
So Detective Clark began the painstaking task of investigating each sentence of the manuscript, desperately trying to determine which parts were fact and which parts were fiction. And what he found was actually pages upon pages of real details. Uh, So we're going to read a few excerpts from the SK Confessions manuscript so you guys can kind of get a feel for what was written. This part is from the first page of the manuscript. I don't remember the exact place and time it was that I decided to be a serial killer, but I remember the sensation that hit me when I committed to that decision. It was a rush of pure euphoria. The next one. When a man approaches 30 years of age, he tends to question what his ultimate purpose is in this world and where he fits into the picture. For the most part, I am merely following my own nature, which was devised by the grand design of the universe. Oh, good grief. Uh, you're a husband and father. Why don't you work on that? That could be a purpose. (laughs) Dark Jedi. He goes on to say, I won't deny that the aforementioned scenario would play well in an insanity plea. Who do I want to target? At first I considered married men looking to cheat on their wives. I finally settled on middle-aged single men who lived alone. Easy to manipulate, easy to seduce under my fake female disguises. Oh, man. Can you imagine the detectives reading this and just being like, this is it? Like, this is Wouldn't you just basically hand this to the prosecutors and say, boom, shakalaka, I got your case covered for you? (laughs) Yeah. You're welcome? That's what I would say. (laughs) It's over now? Yeah. So the manuscript outlined in detail how the killer had carefully created a shopping list of kill supplies and purchased them all in cash at different stores so as not to be too obvious. Among the items listed in the manuscript were specific types of dark clothing, disposable overalls, a hunter's game processing kit, a special kill knife, several rolls of painter's plastic sheeting, and packing tape, duct tape, a stun baton, an airsoft pistol. This guy was going out and getting everything that he could possibly think of that he would need, and pretty much all of it came straight from watching Dexter. A little ways into the manuscript, the author who we now know as Mark, uh, writes, I'm a huge fan of the Showtime series Dexter, as you may have guessed if you're at all familiar with the show. Don't give yourself so much credit. (laughs) Well, honestly, at least he's citing sources. (laughs) (laughs) He then goes on to describe creating a fake profile in which he posed as a woman to lure an innocent man to his death. The details were horrifying to read, but the long and short of it is that the killer attacked the victim from behind with a metal pipe, which he used to beat the victim over the head repeatedly. The victim, who is named Jim in the manuscript, did not die from the blows to the head, but fought back hard until the killer had enough and stabbed him in the stomach. He then outlines how he used the game processing kit to dismember the body before driving away in the victim's car a red Mazda with a standard transmission. How do you write this down on paper and it's not true? Like, where do you get those types of details? This is where the cops were, like, so frustrated because they were like, obviously you're writing about what you did. These are the exact details of the case that we're investigating right now. Right. It's very strange. Very creepy. I can't even imagine coming into contact with this manuscript and realizing what it actually was. And, I mean, I would just want to burn the whole thing. Yeah. Well... I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> you like need you it, I know. But <laughs> it seems very, very important. And burning it is, it important. is like the worst idea. But I would want to light it on yeah. fire just because it's like I wouldn't even want to read that. I know. You know, it's like once you start realizing that it's true, yeah. I just it would be so hard to read it. Yeah. You know? For sure. 
police did find a game processing kit, and they already knew that Johnny had been lured in by who he thought was a woman wanting to go on a date. In the story, the killer tried to burn the victim's remains in a drum in his parents' backyard, and police did find a burn ring in the grass at Mark's parents' home. No wonder his dad's like... Wanting to know more. Yeah, I'd like to know a few more details here. Even minor details in the story were accurate and true to life, including an account of the killer getting pulled over by a dumb cop who didn't know he had just killed someone. Detective Clark did some research and learned that Mark did get pulled over, and when he hunted down the officer and asked him for the story of the events, it was almost exactly what Mark had written in the manuscript. So at some point, it stops being, like, clever on his part and starts being, like, dumb. just a confession. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, like, real dumb. The most puzzling thing police read was that there was a second victim who had gotten away, but police had never been made aware of such an attack. They decided to go out on a limb and release a photo of the hockey mask to the public, asking for anyone who may have been attacked by a man wearing it to please come forward. They didn't have to wait long. That same evening, Jill Tetro came across the article online and knew instantly that it was about him. When he contacted police, it became clear that Jill was the man who stumbled upon the couple walking in the neighborhood of Mark's garage just a week before Johnny went missing. Jill told the detectives his story of what had happened to him that night. He had met a woman online who said her name was Sheena. He enjoyed their conversation and thought she was an intelligent woman, and he wanted to meet in person for a date, which is what he thought he was doing when he showed up to Mark Twitchell's garage. He was attacked from behind by a man who we now know as Mark, stunned with a stun baton, beaten, and threatened with what turned out to be a plastic gun. So Jill actually said that the best moment of his life was feeling the plastic Can you imagine? on his head and realize, I wouldn't have put that together. Right. Never. I would right. have still thought, but like to be that confident and be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be able to I try can, and do something. Right. Well, I have a chance. you realize that and you realize like the gun is not real, like that's your shot. That's all at you got. saving yourself. You know, like, you know, like they're not going to shoot you and kill you at that point. Like you have a chance to overpower this person or to try to anyway. In the words of Eminem, you only got one shot. Or you only get one shot. (laughs) Jill feared for his life, but he managed to escape the garage twice, the second time being when he stumbled in front of the couple walking. So we watched a couple of documentaries on this. There was a Dateline, and there was also another one I found on YouTube that was from a Canadian network. Uh, We'll link those in the show notes. I don't exactly remember what it was called. I'm getting it confused with Canadian True Crime, which is a podcast. That we love. (laughs) That we love. um, Because it was kind of close to that, but it wasn't that. It was something like Canada, True Crime Canada or something. We'll put it in the the show notes in case. But um, It was True Crime Canada, eh? Eh? (laughs) (laughs) Um, In those documentaries, this man, Jill, um, talked about his experience with the kind of attack that he experienced. And he kind of said that it was just a really crazy struggle and he didn't know. I mean, he feared for his life. He didn't know if this person was going to kill him or not. It was kind of one of those things you think you're going to go do one thing and then next thing you know, you're in this terrible situation. Right. And you really, he really, he said he realized at one point that there was no date and that this was all a setup and that he was lured there and you know, to be attacked. And he didn't know if it was for, financial gain on this part he didn't know if he was being robbed he didn't know if it was just for a murder he didn't know what was going on and he the struggle was crazy that he had to endure he kind of you know he was beaten punched in the head he kind of was able to get away the first time and then mark actually chased him out the first time and pulled him back by his feet back into the garage and so he said in these documentaries that he felt like 
whenever he was pulled back into the garage after escaping, he thought that was it. Like, yeah. there's no way he's going to be able to escape again. And keep in mind, he's already been stunned with a stun gun. And so that takes away a lot of your muscular function right. for a short period of time. You know, it really affects your everything. Yeah. So his legs weren't even really working. It was He was completely running on adrenaline. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that he managed to escape twice um, really is incredible. Yeah. It's, it's kind of miraculous. And so he was very lucky to get out of the situation. Right. Um, he did not report that to the police though. And that was kind of where the story, that's where the missing link was with the right. story. When the detective said that in that manuscript they found, they didn't, you know, there was accounts of a second person being attacked. They didn't know. Turns out it was him. Yeah. And he never did go to the police. He said that he wanted to just put it behind him. He didn't want to think about it anymore. Um, and that was kind of that. Yeah. And so that was the reason why he, you know, they didn't know about it until right. until then. So after the incident, Joe went back online to find the profile of the woman that he thought he was going to be meeting, but to his surprise, everything was gone. There was no profile. Everything had been deactivated. There was no evidence of anything. Um, and like I said, he didn't report the incident to the police. So with this new information, police now had evidence that everything written in SK Confessions was true, except they just had one problem. There was no ending to the story. They had been brought right to the brink of learning what Mark had done with the body of his victim before the manuscript ended completely unfinished. Detective Clark was frustrated, but the team of police continued to look for the evidence that they would need to convict Mark in the murder. After a little searching, detectives discovered an updated version of the manuscript, and in it were clues as to the possible location of Johnny's remains. In addition to the attempt made at burning the remains, Mark also contemplated throwing them in the Saskatchewan River, but he was scared someone might see him, so he settled for throwing the remains down one of the many storm drains in Edmonton. Detective Clark became obsessed with solving the case and finding Johnny's remains, and he pulled off every manhole cover he could, but sadly, he found nothing. A year and a half passed, and Mark was in jail awaiting trial when he made a phone call to the detectives telling them that he wanted to give up the whereabouts of Johnny's remains. He submitted a printout of a Google map with a handwritten note on the bottom. The location that he claimed the remains were in was just a block south of his parents' home in an alley. When police arrived at the location, they realized that it exactly matched the description for what was written in SK's confessions. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. Really no surprise there, probably, to them, because everything was accurate from, yeah. from that. So I'm sure they weren't surprised, but it was just another one of the, like, nail in the coffin like, yeah. type of things, you know? For sure. 
They located the remains of Johnny Altinger in a storm drain about half a block up from where they had stopped their search a year and a half earlier. That, that is awful. I know because they had, they said that they had searched that whole entire area. Yeah. Back when the case was fresh and had just happened and they didn't find anything. Right. And um, they had even searched in the storm drains that were in that alleyway. And so it just is really unfortunate. Although, I mean, of course I'm glad that they found, sure. found him eventually. But um, it re- I can imagine just how frustrating that would be. And for the family and everything, like having his remains, knowing where those are, there is something to be said for that. Right. And you'll hear people say that all the time. Detectives were curious as to why Mark would suddenly come clean about the location of the body right before his trial was set to begin. The judge had issued a gag order on the media, so when the trial began and it came out that the remains had been found, it really caught everybody by surprise. Prosecutors revealed the SK Confessions manuscript to the jury and explained how every detail of the murder was documented within it. The problem was that Mark had never admitted to authoring the manuscript and Johnny's real name was not used in it. They knew they would need more than just the manuscript to convince the jury to convict him of first-degree murder. So police went back to the garage again, and this time they sprayed everything down with luminol, which is, if you watch, I mean, even if you just watch Dexter. anything. Yeah, um, since we're talking about Dexter. But that's what, that's the um, thing that they use to, it makes the blood glow, or anywhere the blood used to be that was cleaned up. If you spray it with luminol, it will glow, and so that's how police can determine if there was a yeah, crime or if it's committed. been cleaned up, then or if it's been cleaned still up. there, mm-hmm. right? So sure enough, the room lit up with the telltale glow of where blood had previously been. There was a large spot on the floor where blood had been pooled, as well as on a table where police believe Mark dismembered the body. They found a human tooth fragment and blood spatter on the walls and the garage door, as well as the big game processing kit that was mentioned in the manuscript. Every single tool in the kit had the victim's DNA on it. Police also located the kill knife in Mark's car with visible dried blood belonging to Johnny still on it and post-it notes on the console with a map drawn from his garage to Johnny's address. Wow. All very incriminating. Yeah. And um, for someone who emu- who wants to emulate Dexter, he does a really terrible job. Um, thank goodness. I mean, Dexter got away yeah, with a million times. Dexter was also killing people who deserved it. This guy. Dexter was also on television, Mandy. Right. It's also not a real thing. <laughs> not real. I mean, I understand all of that. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, if that's your goal and that's what you're trying to be like, you're missing the mark here. Yeah. You are not doing what Dexter was doing in the show. Like, Dexter was going after people who, in his eyes, you know, he thought, we're not condoning what Dexter not. did either. It's a television show. My goodness. <laughs> and it's great TV. But in real life, it doesn't translate. And this guy wasn't even exactly following who he was supposedly trying to follow. You yeah. know, Dexter wasn't luring in innocent people who had nothing to do with anything yeah. And, yeah. and hurting them in any way. Right. So this guy was terrible. And then having the knife in your car with actual blood still on it, this wasn't that they found like with the luminol or they yeah, found yeah. the D- They said that it actually had dried blood like still on it. And so come on. But you got to wonder if those kind of things are a trophy because you hear about that a lot where they keep something from the victim or they keep some kind of evidence or something where in their minds like seeing it or holding it or whatever kind of they relive the whole thing. And if he was so obsessed with killing and wanting to do this, you can see why he – maybe it wasn't that he was so dumb. Maybe he really – I mean he was dumb, but maybe he wanted to keep it for that reason. So weird. I can't get my head around that. No. Well, thank goodness. You'd be a real wackadoo if you did. (laughs) 
During the trial, Mark's friends and co-workers were called to testify, and they were all apprehensive and feared for what Mark might do if he was acquitted. Mark remained emotionless throughout the testimony, up until the point that the prosecution played the tapes of Detective Clark telling him that he had no doubt he was involved in Johnny's disappearance. Mark became visibly upset and so hysterical that the judge dismissed the court for a break so that he could regain his composure. But Mark was still shaken up when court resumed. He turned to look at Detective Clark and told him that he was sorry for lying to him, which baffled authorities because that's not typically something you see from a defendant in a murder trial. Like, all of a sudden you have the conscience? Right. Weird. Something triggered it in him that he was suddenly yeah. so remorseful? I don't, I don't believe it. No. The defense only called one witness to the stand. Mark Twitchell himself, and everyone was on the edge of their seats waiting to see what he would say. Right from the start, he admitted that he had killed Johnny, but in a shocking twist, he claimed it was self-defense. That is so offensive. It is. Absolutely, it's offensive. He told the jury that he had created this idea that he could blend fiction and reality so closely that everyone would be fooled into thinking that fiction was reality. Okay. He alleged that House of Cards and SK Confessions were to be the building blocks to a new online entertainment concept that he was working on, and that to generate publicity, he needed to manufacture an online urban legend by doing a series of staged attacks identical to ones depicted in his movie and novel. He called this multi-angle psychosis layering entertainment, or maple. Again, very Canadian. Very Canadian. (laughs) He claimed that the attacks on Jill and Johnny were fake and that he intended to let them go in hopes that they would tell people about what happened to them so that when his movies and novel were released to the public, people would be wondering if it was fact or fiction. This whole entire thing confuses the crap out of me. I know. I don't understand any of this. I don't understand this. But you still had to do this to these people so they could, like... So he really attacked them. Right. But then his whole thing was to let them go so that they would go out and say, I was attacked in this way... And then when the movie came out, people would be like, well, there was actually real attacks that were like this, and so they would be scared? I don't know. I don't get it. It really is confusing, and I don't understand Maple, and I don't understand any of it. Matt Damon doesn't have to do this to sell movies. I can tell you that. Exactly. (laughs) Mark said that Johnny didn't get the joke. Gee, no kidding. I wouldn't take it as a joke either if somebody attacked me in that way. Would you, Melissa? Never. (laughs) Okay. No. But it's so gross that he would say that. Like, it oh, is. he didn't get the joke. Right. No. This is not a joke. Yeah, no. Right. No, it is. It's it's really disgusting and sick. Um, so he says that Johnny attacked uh him with a pipe whenever he was realized being that attacked. it wasn't a joke. Yeah. Right. I, I don't even get it. So a struggle, of course, ensued, and Mark claims to have accidentally stabbed Johnny in the scuffle, and then he panicked, and then he dismembered his body and disposed of it in the sewer. Because that makes total sense. Yeah. Next logical step is those terrible things. Right. In hindsight, attorneys said that this defense was actually genius because Mark had found a way to describe an entire police investigation that incriminated him in order to get acquitted. Thankfully, the jury saw right through the whole entire twisted plot and returned with a guilty verdict. Jill was in the courtroom when the verdict was read and he recalled a special moment that he had with the victim, Johnny's mother. She turned around to look at him, grabbed him by the hand, and said that she was so glad that he was still alive. When I heard him talk about that, I was in tears. That is so crazy. And like he said, you know, he didn't know how um, Johnny's mom was going to feel towards him. Because, you know, she could have had the feeling that 
why did you live through this and my, my son, son was killed? Mm-hmm. So I have goosebumps even just saying it because it's just so – it's really a, such a sweet ending to the story that she – it was kind of closure for both of them, kind of a way to put put it all behind them. Right. And um, that's what Jill said was that, that he couldn't have asked for any better closure than to have Johnny's mom saying, um, you know – well, you'll hear about that where people feel guilty that they're right. survivor's guilt. Right. That they made it through and then why them and not this person, but for his mom of all people to say, I'm so glad you're here. Right. Oh, it's say just, that it, without crying. I know. It's really, it really, I really was. I was really broken up. Yeah. Um. So Detective Clark, of course, was thrilled with the outcome of the trial. And he said that he was confident that they caught a serial killer on his first kill. And he definitely would have done it again. Oh, yeah. If he had gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. He would have gone out and... You know, lured in another victim in the same way, right. pretending to be a woman online, and you get them to come to a location, and then you do whatever sick thing you have in mind for them. Right. Um, so, yeah, I agree that they, I would agree with his statement that they caught a serial killer on their first kill, and that's, I guess that's all you can hope for whenever you're a detective. Yeah. So, since Mark has been in prison, he has joined... A special dating website for inmates. Melissa, this is right up your alley. I'm so excited. <laughs> Love After Lockup is my favorite show in the world right now. It's far surpassed 90 Day Fiance. And there's only two episodes or one episode left. But it's all about marrying people who are coming out of prison. Right. Well, he, it's a hot could, mess. he could be on this show. Mark no, Twitchell could no, be on the show. I don't want him on there. Plus, you have to be able to like get out of prison to be on this show. Right. Well, I'm going to read his bio about himself that he wrote for this um, dating website. Please because do. It, it, it really is, after everything that you now know about him, right. this is all just so ridiculous and disgusting. Um, so we'll end it on that. And then we'll do our little Hashtag. segment at the end. Yay. So uh, Mark Twitchell's prison bio for dating, if anyone's interested out there, I'm going to read it for you. No, (laughs) you're not interested. Do not contact him. This is a PSA. No, we're not giving the address. No. Um, So it says, I was tentative about reaching out because I thought I couldn't offer much and doubted anyone could look past my reputation to see the human being. But trying is definitely worthwhile if it means finding just one meaningful, mutually fulfilling friendship. My crime doesn't define who I am or represent me at all. I've made some terrible, regrettable choices in the past, and I've come to terms with the consequences. Now I seek to infuse purpose into my life. Connection is a huge part of that. My creative engine never slows, so I produce artwork constantly and craft novels or screenplays to manifest my relentless imagination. I'm insightful, passionate, philosophical with a great sense of humor. I enjoy tennis, chess, and clever storytelling. I love the rain and the music of artists like Sia, Jackie Evancho, and Arcade Fire. I'm looking for an interesting, intelligent, open-minded, delightfully imperfect woman to relate to and share amusing observations with, as well as potentially a long weekend every few months if it gets there naturally. I can't with all of that. That's so... First of all, he ruins Sia for me, and I don't appreciate that at all. And what are your observations? Right. What are... What are your observations? The comical things that happen at commissary? I've seen 60 Days in. It is not a walk in the park in there. The part where he said he was into clever storytelling made me so mad. Yeah, yeah. That's like, really that's gross. That's disgusting. Um, but all of this, it's just so ridiculous. Um, insightful and passionate and philosophical. Great sense of humor. Yeah. Hilarious, dude. You're hilarious. No, I can't with any of that. But um, so that's the story of Mark Twitchell and um, the sad story of Johnny Altinger, who lost his life to a complete creep who was trying to 
emulate a TV show character. So we hope you guys enjoyed the episode this week. Um, We wanted to quickly just mention that we have our Patreon account at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. Thank you so, so much for donating to that. Honestly, because we are not raking in money. No, we're not. (laughs) Which not in a complaining way whatsoever. Everything we're getting, we're putting back into the show. And so it's so nice to not have the financial burden of trying to put all this stuff out there because people have been so helpful and generous to us. So we're super, super thankful. Yeah. And it's great to be able to put things back into the show to give back to you guys. And um, we really enjoy doing that. So every little bit helps. And we really do appreciate everybody who is giving to us. And um, But from that, we've gotten some more merch that Mandy has been working on for our little merch store. We've kind of revamped it, Mandy. We do. We have a whole new design now. Um, It's a really, really cute little one. It has our logo, but it also has a chicken for me and a Diet Coke for Melissa. (laughs) So um, it looks really cute on a lot of different items. So if you guys are interested in in checking out our merch store, you can also go there. It is momsandmurder.threadless.com. Yeah. And um, check out what we have there. That website is a little confusing to navigate. So if you have any problems, just email us or message us and we will help you out and figure it out. So Melissa, last thing before we go. Hashtag. What are we going to talk about this week? This week we are going to talk for, how long are we going to talk? Three minutes? Three minutes. We decided that two minutes was too short. It induces a certain amount of panic, and after yes. this whole New York Times thing, <laughs> my we're panicking already. Cannot take anymore. So, three minutes. We're going to talk about pet, pet peeves. peeves. Yeah, pet peeves, sort of things we hate. I, it's, it's going to be ish. Pet peeves, ish. Okay. Thank so. you for to Hannah from the Film Rose podcast for giving us this suggestion. Mandy, I'm, are you ready? I'm ready. Melissa, one, tell me. Two, you first. Three, go. Okay. Number one. And it could be number one through 100 for me. Feet. I hate feet. I hate your feet. I hate my feet. I hate all feet. I love baby feet. I will take that. I'm rolling I love my baby eyes. feet. I don't want to see your feet at the beach. I don't. I don't want to see an Instagram. Do not tag me in an Instagram post You with live feet. in the wrong state. I know. Yeah, feet are flying around. Florida might as well be called the foot state. I know. I, <laughs> it smells like feet state. But um, I, my goal in life would be like to be like Liz Lemon and to for it to be socially acceptable to wear socks and sandals at the beach. I would socks love that. Socks and sandals? Oh, my gosh. Liz Melissa, Lemon and me. Stop it. I love it. Yeah, I just – I hate everyone's feet. Good day. There was one time I – was really excited about a toenail polish color that I had. And I sent a picture to Melissa. That's when I learned she hates feet. Hate it so much. Don't ever send me that garbage again. Show me the bottle. Now I I do it it just to torture. (laughs) Okay. Mandy, what's your pet peeve? Go. People driving with two feet. Speaking of feet, it's all about feet this week. So um, yesterday or two days ago, I was driving and just trying to get to my destination. And the car in front of me, it just constantly, we're going like 60 miles an hour, but their brake lights are on the entire time. And so the only reason that happens is when you drive with two feet and you have one foot on the brake and you have one foot on the gas and you just are ever so slightly pushing that brake with that one foot. First of all, it's incredibly dangerous and it's a terrible way to drive. My grandmother does this and I get onto her all the time for it. And she always tells me I'm 80 years old. I'm not changing my ways now, which fine. I guess if you're 80, you can <laughs> get away your grandma. With it. You can do whatever the heck you want. I know. But it was very, it's very irritating because you don't know if they're braking or not. And then when they really are braking and then you have to like. It's just too much for me. So don't drive with two feet. Please drive with one foot like a normal person. (laughs) 
and sorry to everyone we just offended, but we don't care. I'm if going. I offended you, I'm sorry. You should be offended. Don't well, drive it's illegal. Feet. You're not supposed a, you're to drive not, But it's also dangerous. Like I said, it's it's too easy to get, no get confused. And yeah. No. I couldn't do it. And it annoys the person behind you more than anything. So <laughs> stop doing it. Don't do it. <laughs> um, so I, my last one is going to be very controversial, Mandy. My last one is romantic comedies. I hate romantic you comedies. You hate rom-coms? Rom-coms are the worst. Don't give me a rom-com. I'm not interested. Not interested. I want suspense. I want so you comedy. you like, like the breakup or like... I mean, what's the, uh, all the Jennifer Aniston ones are hilarious, and I love them all. You hate them all? Hate them all. You hate Every them last all. one of them. Wedding Every Crashers? La- oh, I love Wedding Crashers. That will be my exception. That is one of my favorite Wedding movies Crashers of all time. Wedding Crashers is my favorite rom-com. Yeah. Okay. We can agree on this. That's good. Okay. But basically, all other ones can go eat a rock, because I really <laughs> just, I don't like it. Drew Barrymore, lovely lady, not interested in your movie. 54 States? Hate, oh, all-time worst. <laughs> All-time worst movie. Give me a break. Nobody's waking up with amnesia every day, falling in love. Give me a memento. Melissa's like, I wish I was. <laughs> 11 years later. And scene. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank you for checking us out this week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Well, hello, my friends. I am CK, and I'm the host of a new and amusing podcast called Mirths and Monsters. Ever wondered about the cry of the haggis? Okay, they know. Or wondered if a man and his canine companion, say hello Finn, could travel back in time to watch a celebrity deathmatch between St George and the Dragon. Wonder no more. All these are answered, and more, on Mirths and Monsters. Available on iTunes, Podbean and Soundcloud. Catch me on Twitter, at Mirths and Monsters, or mirthsandmonsterspod at gmail.com. Till next time, Slantja, your health. What's the podcast? Find me a podcast. Hey guys, it's TJ from the Pints and Puzzles podcast. You missed me to my dad. We explore some of the strange, unusual, and often obscure cases throughout history. But did I mention there's craft beer reviews? My dad shows the best. Come give us a listen on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Hi, I'm Nick. And I am Rob, and we are the Brohio Podcast. We cover all the unknown and much more. Aliens, true crime, famous murders, monsters, paranormal, and everything that goes bump in the night. We keep it funny, slightly trashy, and sometimes we like to talk about crapping our... Nick, 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 we are trying to make a good impression here. Right, right. You can find us on all your favorite podcast apps. We drop new episodes every Monday. We are a member of the Bomb Pod Media Network. We'd love to talk to you on Instagram and Twitter at Brohio Podcast. And the bros of Brohio do appreciate you listening. We will see you on the dark side. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder Podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.